Are you ready for God's word? Amen. Amen. We're talking about breaking point, second service. And today I want to talk to you about a subject that affects all of us. Because it either has affected you, will affect you, or has touched or will touch someone very, very near and close to you. It's a feeling of a lingering fog that moves in and it suffocates the sunlight out of your life. It affects more than a million people a year. Actually, it affects millions of Americans every year, and it is a billion-dollar industry. It has to do with how life has gotten tough, and life continues to be tough. And the, what I want to talk to you about here today is, the, is daunting depression. Daunting depression. But I don't want to leave you with just daunting depression. I want to, I want to let you know that there is dynamic hope. And I chose that word dynamic for a very special reason. I want to, I want to share with you that the definition for dynamic at least one of the definitions is a positive attitude, a person that is full of energy and has new ideas. And when you're dealing with depression, you're not that. So in order to be that, you've got to replace depression with dynamic hope, with dynamic hope. You say, but pastor, how serious is depression what it is serious it is serious yeah pastor but but we already know that life is hard it is hard and I like what Bruce Lee says about this he says don't pray for an easy life pray for the strength to endure a difficult one and so, yes, I'm not going to tell you that life's meant to be easy and that life's meant to be a bed of roses. We already know it's hard. And we're going to have to pray our way through this hard life. We know this because our Savior promised us it would be hard. Jesus himself said, it's going to be tough. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. You're going to go through even worse than I went through in terms of the ridicule and the, and the persecution and all of these things. You're going to go through it. I can promise you that. And you say, but pastor, then why are we dealing with this thing called depression? Isn't that for the non-Christian? Before you dismiss me, I want you to know that this affects Christians and non-Christians alike. Depression. And I want to read some things to you from, uh, I think it's Psychology Today or one of the medical journals that I was researching. It says depression is major Major depressive disorders, another way uh, that, that it's known by, is a common and serious medical illness that negatively affects how you feel, the way you think, and the way you act. It can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems and can decrease your ability to function at work, at home, or anywhere you find yourself. Because the truth is, this fog, this cloud, it follows you. It follows you. And so in just a minute, I'm going to give you a little test 
to see if you, if you fit some of the symptoms of being depressed. Now, before I go into that, I do wanna, I do wanna let you know that I'm not talking about just feeling down from time to time. I'm not talking about having a hard day at work and feeling like, man, that was tough. I'm not talking about having someone pass away and you going through grief or having uh, sadness because of a divorce or a breakup in a, in a relationship. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the lingering fog that crowds out the sunlight in your life and it lasts for weeks and months on end. Something you cannot shake and you're having trouble like you've never had before. I want to remind you that these symptoms will last for weeks. They will change the way you function and the way you act and the way you deal and cope. I'm not talking about medical conditions like thyroid problems, brain tumors, or vitamin deficiencies, even though those can lead and can trigger and can affect your mood and depression. But I'm talking about the depression that affects an estimated one in 15 adults, adults in America every given year, and that is much, much higher for teens. Much, much higher for teens. I'm talking about the one in six adults in America that will experience depression within their lifetime. One in six. That means one, two, three, four, five, six, one of you will have depression in our lifetime. Do you realize that that statistic is levels of magnitude higher than the rest of the world and underdeveloped countries? You say, but pastor, why is America experiencing such a, such a fierce attack from this killer called depression? I'll tell you why. Because the enemy knows that if he can get America, he can squash, he can thwart, he can keep the most evangelistic nation that's ever existed from doing her job. Because America has shed, yes, I do realize that America has a lot of warts, a lot of problems, a lot of hangups, and a lot of hurts. I get it, I get it, I get it. But we also evangelize more than any other nation in the history of the world. What do I mean by that? America has sent the gospel out to the four corners and has been zealous for the king of glory. And the enemy wants to destroy that. Why does he want to destroy that? Because he knows that Jesus promised in Matthew 24, verse 14, he said this. When they asked him, what are the signs of your end, of the, of the end of the age and your second coming? He gave a lot of signs, but he gave this one in Matthew 24, 14. 24, 14, he said, and this gospel that I'm giving to you will be preached in all the world as a testimony to me, and then I'll return. And the enemy says, wow, I got to keep the gospel from being preached. And so I've got to plague this, this nation, this nation that champions the return of their king. I've got to plague it with depression. And so before you start thinking, yeah, pastor, but isn't depression about not knowing who you are in Christ? Isn't depression for the non-Christian? Isn't depression for those that don't put their trust in Christ? No, I want to tell you that depression can affect anyone. Anyone. In fact, let me share with you a who's who of, from God's word of those that have 
have battled depression. Did you know Moses battled depression? I want to share this with you, church, that um, this sermon made such an impression in the first, ser- in the first service. I had only planned on preaching one Sunday. I'm preaching it next Sunday, too, because I want to, I want to go deeper into this. And we're going to cover Moses, Elijah, Jonah, and the Apostle Paul. Moses found himself so worn out, and I, and I need you to hear me on this, because a lot of times when we go through depression, it's because we're worn out. We're worn out physically, we're worn out emotionally, and because we're so worn out physically and emotionally, we've allowed our spiritual health to decline as well. And when you are fatigued, the enemy knows you're an easy target. It's like Vince Lombardi said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. What does he mean by that? It means you can have the biggest, strongest, most successful linemen who can throw anybody off the line, but when they get dog tired, they're done. They're done. And this is what we need to understand, that Moses was was taking on all the problems of an entire nation. Can I tell you, some of us are taking on all the problems of a neighborhood, of a family, an extended family, of a workplace. We're taking on way too much and we're trying to carry it in our own strength and the enemy is setting you up for depression. He's setting you up. How about about Elijah? Elijah just defeated the prophets of Baal. He had this amazing showdown at the old Carmel Corral, you know. It was on Mount Carmel, and he had a showdown with these evil prophets, and he defeated them in grand fashion. He called down fire from heaven. How could this man? But then he ran, listen to me, in front of a chariot, an entire marathon, record time. He was doing these amazing things, and he got to the point where he asked God to take his life. Moses asked God to take his life. How about the great evangelist Jonah after he preached to Nineveh and they all repented? He stood on the outskirts of town asking God to take his life. Down, depressed, out for the count. He goes, yeah, but that's Old Testament. How about New Testament? How about the Apostle Paul? I'm going to show you next week. How about John the Baptist? who in a dungeon was so depressed, he sent word indicating that he was doubting Jesus as the Messiah. How could he doubt Jesus as the Messiah, this great man of faith? I believe it's because God is saying to you and me, hey, this thing can affect you too, but take courage. Get get your heart girded up. Gird up your heart and understand that if I got them through it, I can get you through it. You can overcome this. You will overcome this. There is hope, and there is dynamic hope when you put it in Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you here today. But first, I want to show you that this affects so many people. Now, I've shared with you from God's Word, but how about, how about leaders, dynamic leaders that have changed the course of human history, like Abraham Lincoln, who had his bouts with it? How about Winston Churchill? who led his nation through one of the darkest times, used to say that his depression was like a big black dog that would hound him, hound him. 
How about Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, who openly admitted he had struggled with depression? But how about David? Today I want to talk to you about David, one of my heroes in the faith, who struggled with depression. Struggled with depression. You say, Pastor, why would David struggle with depression? This great man of God. I'll tell you why. Because he had made a mess of his life. And he found himself in such a predicament, far from the Lord, and remembering where he came from and if he would ever get back there. You go, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. He sinned before the Lord. He took another man's wife. He killed that man to try to cover up his sin. And then he lived like nothing was happening as he took that woman to be his wife, only to have the prophet of God, Nathan, come to him And as Nathan rebuked him, he did it in a story. He was telling him a story. David gets, uh, uh, he gets this, this indignation in him and this anger and he pronounces judgment over the, the person in the story. And Nathan says, you are the person. I'm talking about you. You're so blind, you don't even see it. And now your words that you spoke in judgment shall fall upon you. And and David had to deal with the unraveling of his family. His unborn child died as it it was born. It died. and, 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 And then from there, one of his daughters was raped. And then one of his sons murdered another son. And then that... That son who murdered the other son lost so much respect for his father and was so angry and bitter in his heart, he rebelled against his own father, took over the the capital and the palace and sent David running, only to have David's armed forces kill that son, brutally kill him. And David is depressed He's reached his breaking point. He's reached his lowest moment. He's saying, Lord, I'll never get back to what I once was, where I used to walk with you and talk with you and love you. I am depressed. I want to show you that in Psalms 42, make a note of Psalms 42. It's a beautiful psalm that gives us so much insight. David says this, and, 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 and as you're looking up Psalms 42, I want to share something very, very important. Years ago, I heard this message. And so I cannot take credit for it. It's from one of my heroes in the faith who has blessed my life more than I could ever, I could ever say. His name is Dr. Adrian Rogers, the great Baptist, Southern Baptist preacher from Memphis. Um, I'll tell you how much he means to me and, and my wife that when we went to Memphis for the first time, I didn't go see Elvis. I didn't go see Bill Street. I didn't go see any of that. I went to Bellevue Baptist Church and got the tour of the great house God built through a, through a humble man called Adrian Rogers. And if you've never listened to his messages, I, I invite you to go listen at Love Worth Finding. Love Worth Finding. He will bless your socks off. I promise you. Go, Man, that's a huge endorsement. Yeah, it is. It is. Because he's worth it. And here... You have David's psalm say, as the deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for you, O God. 
What is David saying? I want you to think about this because we usually sing this as a beautiful psalm like, man, Lord, I'm thirsty for you. But what if this is desperation? See, what I want to show you here is that David is deeply desperate for the good because he is being hounded by that black dog of depression that has him down for the count. And he's saying, look, without water, I cannot live. And without you, Lord, I might as well die. Now, what is he painting here? He's painting the picture of a doe, of a deer that's being chased by wild pack of wolves and want to be, they want to kill this deer. And David is saying, I'm so thirsty and I don't even have time. I don't have any place to refresh myself. Oh God, I long for you. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like you're just spiritually dry? And you long for the living water of Jesus Christ, but you don't know how to get it. And he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come? When shall I come? You go, but Pastor, he could go anytime. But he feels so far, he doesn't know if he'll ever get back. He doesn't know if he can ever get back. He's desperate. It's daunting. Number two, it's daunting. These aren't my points. This is just describing his depression. My points are going to be very, very simple. My points are going to be, you're going to see in a minute, from this psalm, David looks inward, then he looks upward, and then he looks onward. So inward, upward, onward. But now I want to show you that he is clinically depressed. It's daunting, the torment, the shame, and the ridicule that he feels. Read with me, my tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, where is your God? Do you hear the torment that he's given himself, that the enemy is speaking over him, and that the world is speaking over him? He's saying, your God has left you. Your God wants nothing to do with you. Your sin is too great. Have you ever been there? Let's read verse 4. He says, when I remember those things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I used to go with the multitude. I used to go to God's house with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. I remember what it used to be like, but I'll never get back there. I'm dying of thirst, and my God has left me, and this daunting torment will not shake loose. Will not shake loose. You say, Pastor, oh my goodness, he feels overwhelmed. Notice what he says in, in verse 6 and 7. He says, oh my God, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, deep calls out to deep at the noise of your waterfalls and your waves and bellows or billows have gone over me. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm experiencing the death of the Jordan. Do you realize that the Jordan is known as the river of death? You say, wait a minute, pastor, I'm not sure. I thought it was also known 
for the baptismal waters. People were baptized there. Well, 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 what does baptism mean? Dying to yourself. Dying to once what, what once was. Saying, you know what? I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And David is saying, I feel completely swallowed up alive. This is why it's also known as the river of death. Because it descend, it starts off at the peaks of Mount Hermon. And the snow-capped Mount Hermon will feed this, this, this river. And it comes crashing down into the valley of the Dead Sea. Where Mount Hermon is 9,000 feet above sea level. The Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea level, and you have these waters that just come crashing in there. And David's saying, I feel like they're just on top of me. The weight of the world is on his shoulders. He cannot get back to God. And you're saying, but, but what has to die in him? The same thing that has to die in us, whatever it is that keeps us from walking in real relationship with Jesus Christ. And God will often use these deep, dark nights of the soul to bring about your greatest transformation. So instead of saying, well, why are all these things happening to me? We should start saying, no, they're happening for me. Do you hear me? They're not happening to me. They're happening for me. You say, I'm not sure. Do you realize that this is even the case in Job's story? Now, how many of you know the story of Job? Okay, Job was a righteous man. He was a good man. The devil comes before the Lord, and the Lord highlights Job, and the devil says, yeah, but if you, if, you let me, if you let me mess with him, I promise you he won't be so good. And can I tell you, God works all things. God works all things. The Bible also says in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, that what the enemy meant for evil, God will use for and so the enemy wants to, wants to harm Job, and God already knows, I'm going to use you to improve him. I'm going to use you to, to kill something in him that I may live in greater fashion through him. You say, oh, I'm not sure. Read the book of Job very, very closely. There is a chapter that's remarkable of a young man. It's the only time he speaks in the, when he first speaks, he says, I've been listening to you old heads. All you older guys are talking, and I've been keeping my, my respect. I, I haven't said anything. But you're saying it's because of this, because of this, because of this. And Job, all you keep saying is, no, I'm perfect, I'm perfect. If you're perfect, then you stand in judgment of God. Maybe that's the reason you think you're perfect, and God is showing you you're not, and that has to die so that you can walk in closer relationship with him. The pride has to. So maybe it's not happening to you. It's happening for you. Just like it did in Job's case. And here David is going to understand that the river Jordan will be a baptismal moment for him. Yes, he feels deserted. He says, why have you forgotten me in verse 9? Yet the Bible says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And how do you know that you can trust him in the valley of the shadow of death if you've never been there? And David is about to understand, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know you are with me. Yeah. 
I know you're with me. Why? Because I met with you there. I reached out and I took hold of your hand and I touched your heart. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so this psalm is about spiritual provision and protection. Spiritual provision and protection. It's what he, he says throughout his psalms, things that he learned during this deep, dark moment of the soul. This is what the psalms represent, like Psalms 91, where he says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. God is my refuge. He's my refuge. Can I share something with you? You go, Pastor, you're sharing everything. <laughs> but read that line again. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He goes on to say later in this psalm and other psalms, shall abide under the shadow of his wings. See, because in this time, they didn't have it in the same tabernacle of, of Moses. David, when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines, he put it under a tent that was open. And at certain parts of the day, the sun would cast a shadow onto the ground of the mercy seat, the wings of the cherubim that are on the top of the ark. And David would go in his depression, in his state of, and he would just get in the shadow. Sometimes you just got to go and get in the shadow. Say, Lord, I don't see you, but I know you're here. Because I, I see evidence of you're here. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? And we've got to look inward if you want to find this amazing blessing of the Lord. How do I look inward? You've got to analyze your heart. You've got to analyze your heart. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you downcast? Notice he asks a good question, not why are you so stupid? Why, why are you such a loser? Why? None of those are good questions. He says, what's wrong so that you can what? Walk in victory. Why are you feeling this way? Come on, think deep and hard and understand. Can I share something with you? Just the other day, I was listening to a psychologist. I don't know if he's, if he's a Christian or not. And he's also a neuroscientist. And, and this individual gave five steps on how to have good brain health. And he says, first and foremost, I realize that most people don't think about their brain health. They don't think about what they're eating. They don't think about what they're putting in their body. Can I tell you that one of the things you do when you look inward is you've got to analyze, how am I taking care of myself? Am I burning the candle at both ends? Am I doing too much? Am I putting other people's problems on me? Can I tell you, sometimes, uh, not sometimes, it's always bad when you care more about the person's problems than they do. 
Oh, this used to wreak havoc on my health. I'd be more concerned about someone's marriage than they were. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. My marriage is good. Why am I stressed out? They don't even care. And then, and then and let me share something else with you. you. When you look inward, you have to look at some of the things you're doing. Is it promoting health? Like, for instance, if you're drinking way too much coffee, I had to give up coffee because I realized that it was giving me adrenal fatigue. And my, adrenaline, uh, my adrenal glands were always going, going, going. And I was, I was getting to a point of being anxious. And after being anxious comes the crash of depression. And so I said, how do I get my adrenal, my adrenal glands to be at tip-top shape, my thyroid to be at tip-top shape? What do I need to put in? I need to give up some sugar. I need to give up this. I need to start taking this. I need to practice meditate. what God's Word says. Meditate on the Lord. Meditate on His Word. Pray, believing, walk in faith, declare your faith. Come on. I started doing these things, and things started feeling better. But David says here, why are you downcast. That means you got to talk to yourself. And I learned this by accident in Houston, Texas at the age of 13. At the age of 13, I was, I was clinically depressed. I know that now. And do you know that depression, depression, guys, listen to me very closely, is the leading cause of death among teenagers. My dad moved us from a small country town where everything was so beautiful into inner city Houston, Satan's backyard. And I remember feeling so depressed because he, he threw himself into his work and he left us to fend for ourselves. And I was like a fish out of water. I wasn't raised in this neighborhood. And this neighborhood was rough and tough and super hard and super brutal. And they were, I mean, I showed up with ropers. <laughs> and then that didn't work because nobody was wearing ropers and, and wranglers. So I'm like, okay, cancel that. Bring out my other outfit. Orange parachute pants. A purple sweatshirt, pink Converse. I looked like I was stepping off the set of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> brutal, brutal. I had to, I ran. I remember going to the park and I'm sitting on these park benches, skipping school. The worst place you can be in inner city is at the parks. Gang infested, brutal environment. But by the grace of God, God held me there. And I'll never forget, I was just down and, and I felt like, what do I do? And so I started talking to myself. And I happened to ask this question, Chris, that's what I said to myself. My name is Robert Chris, and I used to go by Robert. So I talked to myself as Chris. Does that make sense? Robert talking to Chris. You go, <laughs> you're nutty. No, I'm doing what the Bible says. I'm doing what the Bible says. And I said, Chris, why are you feeling this way? Why do you feel like there's no hope? Well, my dad, will this, will that. But God says he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. God, are you there? And I wish I could 
have told you right now that I felt him hug me, that I, he showed up. None of that happened. But instead, I heard this, a verse I had memorized as a child. It said this. It said, he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to your purpose. Lord, I don't know if I love you the best, but I do love you. And I felt him say, then I've got this. And I'll walk you through it, amen? Amen. And so sometimes you just have to say, come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your... Because you got a lion inside. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Yes. Yes. Get up and praise the Lord. I remember sitting on that park bench going, I love you, God. If you get me through this. So I want to share with you. Point number two. Then he looked upward. How do we know he looked upward? Look, deep calls out to deep. The waves of the Jordan and the bellows of the waters have gone over me. I'm drowning, Lord. But watch verse 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. I know the night has been hard, but joy comes in the morning. I know I'm going to make it to the morning. I know God is going to reach me. I know it. And, And watch this. A prayer to the God of my life. Lord, you're the one who guards my life. He says it perfectly in Psalms 51, also a a psalm of desperation. He says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He says, restore to me the joy of what? Your salvation. Restore to me what's been stolen, what's been lost. God, you're my hope. Come on, am I talking to someone here today? Am I talking to someone? I know that you will grant me a willing spirit and you will sustain me. Can I share with you what Robert Frost said in a poem that makes perfect sense to me? Robert Frost, the the great poet, in a poem entitled God's Speech to Job, it's right there, from a mask of reason, says this, you were afflicted within those old days. But it was of the essence of the trial you shouldn't understand it at the time. It had to seem unmeaning to have meaning. And it came out all right. I have no doubt you realize by now the part you God is saying, look, the nature of a trial is that it it looked like it has no meaning. That's the nature of a trial. If not, it wouldn't be a... But in its unmeaning, it actually has meaning. And now you realize, looking back, I realize, looking back, God, you were preparing me to preach your word. But you were teaching me 
to hold fast to your word at 13 so that at 28 I'd be ready. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? I'm saying to you that God has a plan. Trust it. See, a gem cannot be polished without friction. Neither can a life be made great without God and trial. Trial. But this is where I want to I finish. So, and you know when I say I want to finish, I'm, I'm like... <laughs> 20 minutes from it. <laughs> no, not really, but stand in, hang in there with me. So, so watch this. Um, watch this. This past year, it's been a year, and I marked that year this August that I've hurt, I hurt my knee. And I hurt my knee preaching because I love to jump and do the things I do. And, and then I was rehabbing my knee and it was going good. And then we did the 70 hours of prayer. And during those 70 hours of kneeling down right here. Um, and I don't say this to impress you. But to impress upon you. What went into my mindset. And I heard it. It started hurting again. And, and I thought man. And, and so I cannot sleep at night. And some nights I don't sleep at all. And um, I use that to pray. And, and as I was praying I just said to the Lord. And maybe you've been here. Maybe this is you. Um, God, I just don't, I don't enjoy life anymore. It's me, God. The one you never have to convince to be joyful. The one that made a promise to you that I would wake up every morning and say, this is the day that you have made. And I've done my best to keep that promise. And notice what I'm saying, because it makes, it'll come together in a minute. <laughs> kind of taking a little too much of that credit, right? <laughs> and I'm going... And now I just, so I got up and I, and I usually get up and I read the verse of the day, but I didn't even want to read the verse of the day. Having a pity party. You know the problem with pity parties? You show up, but no, nobody else wants to. <laughs> and they never bring gifts if you do drag them there. No, no, this, so I look at my wife, Bob, and I say, babe, I don't enjoy life anymore. This is a declaration. This is the day that life became a drudge. And I walk into the restroom and I feel the Lord saying, you need the verse of the day. I look up the verse of the day and guess what it says? I work all things for the good of those who... Oh, this is what you told me when I was 13. Because I was with you then. I'll be with you now. I've never left you, nor will I ever leave you. Oh, come on. Come on, do you hear me? He loves you. And so that's when we have to decide. We have to decide. God is too good to be unkind. Too wise to make mistakes. And when you cannot trace his hand, you can trust his heart. You can trust his heart. So ultimately, this is where we finish. We're called to look upward. I mean, we're called to look inward, upward, and onward. It means you've got to let go of what's behind. And you've got to let his hope be what calls you forward. Listen to what he says. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you what disquieted within me? Hope in 
God. He talks to himself, says, hope in God, hope in God. He asks himself the hard questions. He looks towards heaven, and then he says, hope in God as you look forward. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Watch. Not that I've already obtained it. That means I'm not there yet. Or I've already arrived at being perfect. I'm not perfect. But I press on. What does that mean? I don't let depression get me to the point where I give up and do something horrible. Or I just say there's no God. No, I keep moving toward because ultimately this is to make me the person I'm called to be. This is not all there is. There's more. There's a deeper purpose. There's something bigger. Come on. I know it's hard. I, I don't know what you're going through, but, but the Apostle Paul is saying, look, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal that God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? Whoops. He's saying this, he's saying, look, there's some things that have gone terribly wrong in my past. Do you realize the Apostle Paul used to be, used to be tormented by the fact that he was there when Stephen, the very first Christian, was killed? He had a part to play in it. And he had to learn to say, you know what, I've, I've received God's forgiveness. And I want to walk in what? In promise. So one thing I do, I cannot be holding on to the past. I've got to stretch towards the future. So if you're here today, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you to take your communion cup. And I'm going to ask you just to to look inward and to ask yourself, are you, are you down? What's going on, soul of mine? You know, what's my soul? My soul is my intellect, my will, and my emotions. And so I'm looking inward and I'm saying, why do you feel this way? What's going on? And you're saying, direct your, your will upward and onward. I know we have third service waiting, but I, I, can't, I can't do this without. I just feel the Holy Spirit leading me to say something. If you're here today and you're struggling, I want to pray for you. I want to pray hope. I just want you to have the courage to raise your hand. That's what church is about. Coming and saying, you know what, I need, I need God. I see your hand. I see these hands. I see hands back here, brothers, sisters, over here, right in here. Come on, raise your hand. If it helps you to look down and, and not and drown everybody else out, just, just you and God. Raise your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see every hand and the soul that that hand represents. 
in your loving mercy, God, I pray that you would touch them. It may not be like they expect, God, but I pray that they would recognize it's you. I pray in this moment, my King, something would forever change on their behalf. And as you speak to them, Lord, I pray that you would break the back of depression in their life. And Lord, we lose joy, hope, peace, confidence, the kind of confidence Paul declared in Philippians 1.6. I am confident that the good work that God has begun, He will complete it to the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ. That they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt in this moment, they are yours, Lord, and you never leave something unfinished. You will finish what you started in their lives. Let them walk in that confidence that tears down the walls of depression in Jesus' name. Amen. Your body was broken for our freedom. And your blood shed for our forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, church. Have a great, great, great week.